You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. The CBC is reporting that the progressive conservative government is on the verge of beginning their restructuring of the health care system and that they will start by drastically reducing the number of LINs. LINs are local health integration networks. They're, it's a regional level of bureaucracy that I've talked about many times here. It was introduced by the McKinty government that was supposed to integrate the system so that, for instance, patients could move from a hospital to home care to a nursing home in a seamless way. Well, it has not really worked out that well. And if that's what the government is doing, I say amen to that, because just uh, get some numbers here. Under the Liberals, during their tenure, the number of health-related civil servants more than doubled to 13,000 from 6,000. During their 15 years in power, they carried out 15 restructuring exercises, centralizing, decentralizing, changing. There are now 14 LINs, each of which has a CEO and six vice presidents, and 78 sub-LINs. The sub-LINs uh, were created to take in the community care access centers. This, this was the level of bureaucracy you went to to get home care, but uh, they were put into these sublins after the Auditor General trashed them because guess what? They spent almost 40% of home care dollars on administration. So, uh, for the take on this, uh, first we are going to Dr. Kulvinder Singh with Concerned Physicians, and we also have uh, Jane Meadis with the Advocacy Centre for the Elderly. Welcome to you both. Thanks for joining us. Good afternoon. Okay. Uh, Hi doc- there. It's, it's actually Dr. Colvinder Gill from Concerned Ontario Doctors. Okay, sorry. Um, Dr. Gill, what's your reaction to this? Um, Concerned Ontario Doctors has actually been advocating um, for the um, for the various layers of healthcare bureaucracy uh, to be uh, cut, uh, and and we've been strongly advocating in the last three years for the um, 14 bureaucratic lens, in, including the nearly 100 sublins, to actually be abolished. And uh, on the front lines, we're seeing that these bureaucratic layers are actually heavily rationing frontline patient care, and they're um, and they're impeding the ability of frontline doctors and nurses to actually provide the type of care that we need to, uh, to our patients while allowing our governments to avoid accountability for their um, health care disasters. And uh, so um, uh, rather than um, what has come out in the media where they're planning to replace the 14 Uber, um, these 14 lens with possibly sort of what sounds like five super lens, what we are advocating for is for the government to stop repeating the mistakes of previous governments with repeating one uh, by uh, bringing one new layer of healthcare bureaucracy uh, uh, after another and actually abolishing the lens and sub lens entirely and, and to take those scarce healthcare dollars, which amount into the hundreds of millions to possibly billions annually and actually direct it to frontline patient care. Um, yeah, before I move on to Jane, just a question. I mean, the, the healthcare system is big and it does require some oversight. So what would you uh, replace that function? How would that function be replaced? Right. So, 
when we go back to why the LINs initially started, so initially the LINs had started as a means to um, to gain local voices so that the local communities could actually have say in their healthcare system because initially it, it was uh, a top-down approach where the direction was only coming from uh coming from Queen's Park, what has ended up happening is is the exact opposite, where now uh, uh, even independent oversight has actually been removed uh, uh, by the previous government. So there's no Ontario Ombudsman oversight on, on these LINs, and it's all uh, actually directed by, oh, by Queen's Park. So it's actually uh, been further a top-down approach, and, and the local communities don't have any say. So what we are advocating for is for the LINs and sub to be abolished uh, and for us to go back uh, to what was supposed to be the purpose and that's uh, for the local communities to have say by creating local boards which are volunteer run by frontline doctors and nurses, healthcare providers, healthcare workers, patients and by patient advocates so that they can be empowered uh, to, to finally direct uh, funding where it needs to go within their community while still holding the government accountable uh, for their health care um, decisions. Okay. Uh, I'm going to bring Jane Medison, and uh, Jane is with the Advocacy Centre for the Elderly. Uh, one of the functions of these LINs is supposed to be, I think, managing the wait lists for long-term care. That's correct. And uh, obviously, those are pretty well. They're, they're a mess. Well, they are a mess. And I think the, the, you know, the issue is is that um, you know, it depends on what the government is going to be doing with their restructuring. I agree that uh, what, what, you know, has happened in the past is definitely that the government has put a buffer between itself and the community. Um, and you're quite right that the community has not had a say in, in the system. I'm very concerned about who is going to be running the lens, how it's going to be, or whatever replaces them. Um, I'm sure they're going to give it a new name. Um, but it will obviously have some of the same functions. Um, and, you know, who's going to be running those? And I've certainly seen a lot of people say, well, you know, hospitals should be doing it. And that could be quite a problem because we run into a lot of issues with hospitals trying to uh, put in their own spin on what the law is and what the rules are uh, in order to uh, benefit the hospitals versus benefiting the patient. So it's all, a lot of it's, a, you know, devil's in the details, but I agree. Mm-hmm. I think that we have lost a huge amount of accountability with, with the LIMS. Okay, and, and Jane, do you have a thought on how best to manage uh, these very long lists of people who need long-term care? Well, it's not going to be, it is not going to be resolved by, uh, by this. Uh, certainly getting more money into home care and getting home care to the right people um, would definitely do it. I mean, the biggest problem we have at the moment is that we just don't have enough long-term care beds. And whether or not we have 14 LINs or five, whatever we call the new things, uh, that's not going to change. Dr. Gill, in terms of home care, because uh, I'm sure that you have patients who are transitioning from a hospital or something who need home care. And with the community care access, you know, they were burning up 40% for administration and and. Home care is a nightmare. They, they, the, they often don't come when they're supposed to come or they don't mm-hmm. come for the full amount of time. How would you fix that? Um, so, uh, um, so I do uh, absolutely agree with Jane in that uh, we cannot replace one uh, set of bureaucrats with 
or with another set of bureaucrats. So by putting them under the preview of, of say, the hospital boards would actually be the wrong thing to do because it, again, still does not allow for frontline doctors and nurses and patients and, and, and those within the community to actually have a say over what's happening with their healthcare system. And, 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 and the hospital boards are actually not accountable to the communities. They, they actually are, again, under the direct uh, or preview of, of the actual government. And, and uh, many times, or their messaging allows the government to actually avoid accountability. There is a patient within my community who has been very vocal on social media recently. His father's 92 years old and, and just a few weeks ago had, had a TIA, so, so like a mini stroke, and, and, and actually ended up here in, in our Brampton Hospital, which is the epicenter of the Ontario healthcare crisis. Yes. And, um, and uh, was, oh, oh, was a hallway patient. And, and he was discharged after the investigations had come back negative without any arrangements for home care. He was unable to stand or walk uh, at the time when he was discharged from hospital. He still has, it's been now two weeks, he still hasn't been um, connected. So the Lynn still hasn't come into the home to actually arrange for a home care assessment. He's, uh, his family is trying to cope with this. Um, and, and they don't have any, any supports within the community. So this is a tragic reality of our healthcare system. It's completely broken and patients are being discharged without adequate supports and there's no means of holding the government to account or these limbs to account. And and, and we really need the front lines and patients to be involved in in, in any sort of new oversight that is created, and 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 I and concerned Ontario doctors have strong concerns with uh, one layer of a bureaucracy simply being replaced by more bodies of healthcare bureaucracy. We currently have more healthcare bureaucrats in our healthcare system than we have family doctors, and we're very quickly um, um, becoming um, a well. We're already Ontario is already a world leader in in a healthcare bureaucracy, but we're very quickly on the verge of having more healthcare bureaucrats in our system than we have overall doctors. And, 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 and the system is just being strangulated by healthcare bureaucrats. We really need to get back to basics. And I really hope in 2019, one of the first things this government starts to do is actually be honest with Ontarians. Even the messaging today from Minister Elliott's office is still disingenuous where they're claiming that they're engaging with with the front lines. While all requests by frontline concerned Ontario doctors have been completely ignored by this government for the past seven months, they're they're actually breaking the very promises that they made during the election. So we truly hope that they keep their election promises and they start engaging with the front lines because if they continue to get their advice from the very bureaucrats that created this mess, we're not going to be any better off. Okay, well, what, but one question that I have, uh, realistically, you're talking about volunteer oversights, uh, but, you know, if you get... Uh, Doctors, you know, after their 12-hour day or anybody else who is, you know, has has re- other responsibilities is, you know, these are very complicated things. Is, that, that can be a problem, too. Um, actually, um, currently, um, many of the LINs that have committees, um, physicians already volunteer their time. So the bureaucrats are paid for their time, but physicians are already volunteering their time. It's just that none of our voices are actually being heard because it's a it's the actual bureaucrats that are making uh, the final decisions. Um, so think, physicians are already volunteering at times. Okay. Um, Dr. Gill, I know that you have to go. Uh, thank you very much for joining us.
So no problem. Oh, thank you so much for helping. Okay, bye bye. Okay, Jane, you were about to say something. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, part of the problem is that we see even with the lens that they are often uh, being pushed um, potentially by the government, but also by the hospitals into doing things that you know aren't appropriate. Um, you know, uh, around, for example, the discharge of people uh, to the community, exactly uh, like Dr. Gill was saying, that, that people are pushed back into the community without the right supports, um, told to go into the community, being denied their right to apply for long-term care. Uh, and it is very complicated, um, and, the, and the LINs don't seem to often have the power to do anything about it. Um, so... You know, we, we just have sort of these bureaucrats and nobody's accountable to anyone. I mean, try to make a complaint about a hospital. There's not really anywhere to go. Well, there was the ombudsman's office that the current health minister used to run. I guess that's about it. Well, she, and, and That's so what the, she dealt with, hospital The patient complaints. ombudsman's office is still there, but yeah. they have a very limited um, ability to deal with things. But, I mean, if you have a, a hospital which is clearly in noncompliance with legislation... Um, the LIN really doesn't do much. You can't complain to the hospital. It's a real, you know, it's a really big problem um, over oversight, you know, compared to, say, for example, long-term care, which has, you know, inspectors who will go in. There's no such thing for hospitals. So we have a system where the hospitals tend to bully the LINs, frankly. Oh, interesting. Okay, uh, Jane, hang on. We've got to take another break. When we come back, uh, we will be joined by Dr. Nadia Alam, the president of the Ontario Medical Association, to get her take on this. Uh, because, you know, um, to me, hearing the abolishment, uh, the abolishing of Lynn's uh, on the face of it, we don't know a lot, sounds good to me. We'll be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We are talking about the reports that uh, the Ford government is about to restructure, start restructuring health care, and that the first thing on the agenda might be the chopping of the LINs, which are local health integration networks, which are a whole level of bureaucracy introduced by the McGuinty government, which doubled the number of health bureaucrats under its Rain. Uh, right now, I'm going to bring in Dr. Nadia Alam from the Ontario Medical Association. Hi, Nadia. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. So what's your reaction to this? So one, this is not an official announcement yet. Of course and not. What I, would, what I would like to know is what um, the actual details will be, because as you know, the devil's in the details, right? Correct. How is this going to happen over how long? Um, what is it going to look like at the end? What will this mean for patient services at the end and how they're restructured? Uh, yeah. Uh, do you think it's a good thing, basically? I think it's, uh, it's important for government to recognize that decentralized health care can work. It's important for government to realize that physicians need to be a part of that voice about how healthcare is delivered out on the front lines and how, how regionalized healthcare can work to bring care closer to home. I think there have to be accountabilities. I mean, the LINs have been very controversial. They've not been all bad, but they've not been all good either. And the Auditor General's criticisms, I mean, they're well-founded. They, they're, they're 
earned. The gaps in care can be quite shocking between one lin to another or even within a lin itself. Well, exactly. And uh, I, we can bring Jane in here. Um, I mean, this whole uh, this whole business about the amount of money spent on administration. So it was found that these Communicare Access were spending 40% on administration. Uh, and generally, this is uh, of arranging home care, which mm-hmm. people don't get. And I know people are, some people are saying they're concerned that this might lead to more privatization. But in the case of home care, the, the community care access centers hired private agencies to deliver the care. So and, and they so had a live. big cut of administration on top of like the one cut for administration. And, mm-hmm. and the LINs also, they, they use the same service providers. There's no change there. I mean, yeah. really... I don't know how much savings there actually was when they got rid of the uh, CCACs. They certainly got rid of some of the very top and most expensive people, but the underlying people who were providing the home care, I I suspect that there wasn't a lot of savings there. Um, And, you know, part of the problem is we certainly see them... Uh, you know, trying to in you know get services in the community, trying to get things going on, um, and I can't tell you how often I have you know meetings with multiple uh, CCAC or Lynn people um, because it's controversial and they'll have three or four people in a meeting. So I find that very mm-hmm. wasteful. Plus, there's usually you know three hospital people, and it's just it's actually quite interesting how many people are often involved in some of these meetings um, because the health system is broken and they're trying to force people into doing things they don't want to do. Right. And if you took the money that you were paying them and maybe paid somebody to take care of the patient... That would be very helpful. (laughs) And certainly, whatever the government comes up with to, to change... The healthcare system. We know the government's going to change the healthcare system. They've they've been pretty up, upfront about that with their health transformation agenda. I think whatever they decide to do, it's important to to keep patients at the forefront, to keep make sure the system stays patient centered, to make sure that stays. What do you mean services, stays patient centered? It needs to get <laughs> patient centered. Exactly, it needs to get patient centered. You're right. That's a very good point. And then also to realize that. We need to make sure all of the services, all of the care that's out there must be integrated. All of these groups must be talking to one another. There need to be clear lines of authority so that all of these services are better coordinated. Because I find as a doctor, that's what the problem is that my patients run into as they move from home to hospital, back to home, or into a long-term care home, or nursing home, rather. Um, they find it frustrating that the services that they need there are gaps. There, some people get it, some people don't. Sometimes it comes on time, sometimes it doesn't. And it's not that people aren't working hard. They are. It's just not very well coordinated. Why don't we get, I mean, why don't we take a lesson from the things that, that do work? And I'll talk about mm-hmm. what I'm most familiar with, and that is cancer care, which is certainly great, especially if you're in Toronto. And one of the things that happens when you're diagnosed, at least where I was diagnosed, is that you get a nurse navigator. And the navigator makes sure that you get from one thing to another quote, seamlessly. Mm -hmm. I think that was the original plan with the CCACs, frankly, that this person was going to be sort of your navigator. Um, And it very quickly became that that really wasn't what what they did. Um, And that role became very much administrative. 
and as I, you know, as I said before, it becomes very bureaucratic and often um, pushed by the agenda of, you know, money, um, hospital beds, and, and all of that sort of thing, versus what is best for the client. And part of the problem is, is we just don't have, you know, we can say there's going to be more home care, but many areas don't have enough personal support workers or nurses that can provide that care. Um, and that's going to continue if you're doing things like, you know, not, you know, not paying people to get from one place to another and all sorts of things that are going on in the system. It's not a very um, good system for people to work in either. And so all of those things have to be fixed as well. Okay, let's take a call from Rose in East York. Hi, Rose. Hi, um I just would like to say that uh, I was in the hospital and I was discharged on the condition that a nurse come in every day and give a certain service to me. And if it wasn't provided, I would have to stay in the hospital. Oh, that's so sad. Wow. And so, I'm, I mean, I can't complain because she comes every, t- every morning at the same time and, you know, everything runs smoothly and fluidly. And oh, you are getting the service. Yes, I am. And did you get it when, uh, you know, right away? Yes, I did. I was discharged in the afternoon at 3 o'clock, and the nurse came in at uh, p.m. after dinner. Okay, so it worked for you. Yes, it did, and I thank and, God for it. Yeah, and, and I mean, that's the way the system should work. And I can't tell you how often we have people who are told to go home, and then they will be told what kind of services they're going to get. Yeah, um, and so that does, that's just, you know, backwards. You need to know what's going to be there, what you expect. And, and then, as we know, um, in lots of situations people complain that people don't show up i mean and there are very good people working in in the home care area and they're great but there's a lot of issues around stability um uniformity you know the staffing and all of that which you know changing you know whether it's a lin or something else that's not going to change that Yes, like um, as far as I know, the nurse that does the the person that does the procedure now, she's a nurse, but they want to put a personal support worker to hire her and let her do that work. Okay, well, you know, if if the the person knows how to do the work, that certainly uh, relieves the cost. You might are you nervous about that? Yes, I am. I worry about infection. Mm. Okay, Rose, thank you very much for sharing your story. Thank you. I think Rose made a really good point about how some services can work very well in the lens. And and I know that some of the changes that have happened over the last couple of years, in some lens, things have gotten better. And and it's an important point to remember that you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I think my hope is that as the government continues on its health transformation agenda, they'll preserve what's good and they'll fix what needs fixing. And at the end of it, Hopefully, what we'll get is a system where the services are integrated, they are seamless, you get more patient services, more consistency, more care, because that's really what we need. And I think we need a system that's really looking at the people who are in the community now, because Mm -hmm. what I find is that a lot of money is spent on getting people out of hospital to go home, where really home is not an appropriate place for them, Um, and instead of trying to get the services in the home, which might prevent them from deteriorating and going in the hospital in the first place. And because of scarce dollars and the way the system works, we all look at the, the back end instead of the sort of the... The you know, front we're, end. We're looking at the hospital mm-hmm. people versus and, the people in the community. And, uh, you know, for, yeah. for people themselves, I mean, if you start looking at how to be able to age in your home, 
you are more likely to be able to age in your home. If, uh, you know, uh, otherwise, if you wait till there's some kind of crisis, it's it's not a good situation. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens is we're really often just spending the money um, dealing with these crises and, frankly, trying to deal with the problem, which is that we don't have enough long-term care um, for people to go to. So then we're putting a lot of care into the home of fewer people versus trying to spend the money to help prevent people maybe from going in in the first place. Well, exactly, or prolong the time. And, mm-hmm. Jane, uh, we're running out of time, but uh, Dr. Gill's idea of having volunteer boards to oversee all of this, uh, does does that sound uh, workable to you? Well, there were, you know, that was the way that the CCACs initially were supposed to work, and again, it just, again, it always depends on how things are run, um, you know, it always sounds good, but you, you, it depends on the boards themselves, right, how strong those boards are. Um, you know, at the present time, it, it, it's quite problematic. We don't have really a lot of answering to the community, and I think we have to change that somehow. Okay. Nadja, very quickly, what would you like to leave us with on this? What I'd like to say that I know that a lot of questions that I'm getting is, what's going to happen to the services I receive or the services that my patients receive? And what I want to say is that the frontline patient care that's there right now, I suspect will continue, but the background bureaucracy is changing. And depending on how it changes, maybe, just maybe, those changes will translate into better coordination, more patient services, making sure that patients who want to age at home have the resources to age at home. And the ones who are no longer appropriate for home, like James pointed out, have some place to go where they're well-supported, well-cared for. Whatever system we transition to, we need to make sure that we've got all the voices that need to be heard are heard. And that doesn't just mean doctors, that means nurses, that means other healthcare providers, and as importantly, the community itself. Building these meaningful partnerships is how you commit to a culture of consultation collaboration, and that hasn't always been there. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Nadia Alam and uh, Jane Medes. Uh That is all the time we have. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.